0: Um, hello church my name is vivian and we will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from john 2 chapter 2 verses 23 to 25 and chapter 3 verses 1 through 15. now when he was in jerusalem at the passover feast Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher
1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. Um, for those that are joining online, you're going to be seeing the back of my head. So hello. Okay. Hey. I just want to say that um, I'm freezing. Just it's it's cold. This that's how you know that I'm from Southern California. This is like the cold, the coldest I'll ever be outdoors. But anyways. Um, the miracle of birth is, is truly an amazing experience, and I'm, I'm truly blessed to have three children, uh, and being a father is perhaps uh, one of my, uh, probably the greatest joys of my life. I never thought that I'd grow up and, and like love being a dad, but I, I love being a dad, you know? And um, I remember just kind of, you know, just think, looking at my daughter yesterday, she's 10 now, and um, you know, she's getting, she's getting so much older. Uh, when I first moved up to the Bay Area, um, uh, one, of, one of the girls was in fifth grade, she's now in college, that's how fast, uh, time's gonna go so I know that I don't have that much time with her but I was looking at her and I was thinking about just remembering the day that she was born and I can remember the day uh, that she a couple days that led up to her birth pretty vividly um, my wife uh, was you know just a week away from delivering and she wanted the baby out of her as soon as possible so she uh, suggested that we go hiking so we, we decided to go hiking and then um, you know she started having contractions but she thought it was Braxton Hicks uh, for young unmarried men that don't know what Braxton Hicks is. It's like fake contractions. Can you, you, get, you get real and then there's like fake contractions. That's crazy, right? Anyways, um, you know, so she was going into labor and I remember, you know, this, you know, being a first time dad. I was like all attentive. I was like helping her. I was like, you know, you know, what do you need, you know, and like drawing up a bath for her and like, you know, trying to be as supportive as possible. And then after a few hours, we went to the hospital uh, and the, the hospital sent her back, sent us back home. They're like oh you're not dilated enough so she's like agonizing in pain and you know i'm driving her back home you know and i'm trying i'm like staying up with her throughout the night and then finally we go we go back and i remember everything about that day the number one song during that time was Oppa Gangnam Style. Uh, <laughs> I remember uh, just the room very vividly what it looked like I you know remember the doctors faces the nurses the first thing that I ate was uh, some fried chicken wings I went outside the hospital the first restaurant I saw I ordered some fried chicken wings it was delicious I I, I ate it by myself and I didn't share any with my wife Um, but I didn't think she'd want any anyways you know so uh, I and then you know just just the entire experience I remember very vividly I remember taking uh, you know Riley back home with us and uh, and then when we had our second son or second child uh, our second first son Isaac Uh, I don't remember too much but I do remember we went to the hospital and they sent us back again so I was like oh like it's nothing like the TV shows and movies guys you know like TV shows and movies that are like oh no I'm having my baby and then there's a baby it doesn't happen like that it's like oh no I think I'm gonna have my baby and it's like hours and hours and hours then you have your baby so anyways I remember the only thing I remember about Isaac's birth is um, Christina's water did not break the nurses told the doctor hey um water did not break yet so you should get down up but he's like ah whatever. in the heat and then and then the water broke all over his face you know like it, it was the funniest it was amazing I, I i replay that moment in my mind all the time was like, i was long, i was dying um and our third baby our, i remember is you know, christina was like oh i think i'm having contractions like, all right wake me up when you're ready to go to the hospital um, she woke me up i dropped her off i went back home because um, I had to take the kids to school, okay? <laughs> and I was like, you know what? It's probably going to take like 13, 15 hours before the baby's born anyways. Drop the kids off of school, and then on the way back, she calls, she's like, you need to hurry. Like, my, the baby's coming out. So I almost missed the birth of my third child, but I didn't. I got there. Um, we, we made it, and, and the, the nurses were kind of giving me a lot of, uh, a lot of flack for, you know, almost missing the birth of my child. But the reason why I'm, I'm telling you these stories is because the, the first child that we had, Riley, like, the miracle of that birth, like, I remember every detail of it. Uh, i remember just the feeling the emotions but as we you know as we had more and more kids and hopefully no more after this but um the the uh just like the the, the feel the aura the 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 excitement of it kind of wore off it became kind of ho-hum you know it became something that was not that much of a big deal for me anymore uh, even though the miracle of birth is absolutely miraculous and i and i love all my so, uh, children you know kind of equally you know and it's just uh, amazing right but uh, and, and the reason why I want to talk about this situation is because in the same way, this idea of rebirth and being born again in a spiritual sense is something that I think has lost its luster, especially for those that have grown up in church or for those that maybe have been a Christian for a long time. The, the idea of the fact that we are actually born again in the spirit is absolutely miraculous. But I think we take that for granted. Um, uh, even, even just this phrase, uh, to be born again, is something that we don't really use often in the church anymore. You know, when I was growing up in the, the 80s and 90s, it, it was a phrase and a term that was used quite regularly in the church. Like, are you a born-again Christian? Be like, yeah, I'm a born-again Christian. Now it's almost kind of like a derogatory term or, or for those that are fanatical or, or, you know, if you say that you're a born-again Christian, that you might be associated with, like, extreme conservativism. Right, uh, But it's, it's something really when we think about what is written in scripture in this story that is absolutely fascinating that we as human beings can be given a rebirth in Christ and in Christ alone. So today, as we continue on in our sermon series, <clears throat> this idea of what it means for us to live our eternal lives, uh, we're really going to kind of look at this passage here in, in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and understand and, and look at what does it actually mean for us to be born again. How is that applied and what is the a- practical application of, of how we can live our lives as people who are born again in Christ. So the three points and uh, the three things I'm going to be talking about is first, the, uh, really the outrageous prescription that Jesus gives to Nicodemus. This idea of being born again—what does that mean? Then we're going to talk about, in uh, the second point, this uh, the necessity for us to be able to accept the supernatural. Okay. And lastly, we're going to look at some practical applications and in, w- in ways for us to live a life that is transformed in such a way that we are reborn. Okay. So the first point is this: the outlandish prescription. And um, <clears throat> the thing is, we are reading some passages right after a very famous story and right before probably the most famous passage in the Bible. Okay. so we're reading right after the the miracle that happened at the wedding at Cana where Jesus turns water into wine then we're reading all the way up to the point right before the most famous and probably the most memorized verse in, in all of Christianity John three sixteen, right for God so loved the world uh, and we're gonna look at just how between these two very famous passages is an encounter and a story uh, something that is very important and something that is so rich in theology and so rich in the practical applications of what it means for us to have eternal life and to live in that eternal life so at the end of uh, chapter 2 which may have seemed a little odd for us to read it says this now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man and and I think we look at these chapter separations and it kind of marks off different sections but what we have to understand is that the gospels and oftentimes uh, the letters and, and most of the uh, the way the bible is written it's it's literature it's it's one continuous story it's connected so john chapter 2 doesn't end and then john chapter 3 starts it, it's a connection there and we see that connection in how john chapter 3 begins right and john chapter 2 says for he himself knew what was in man now there was a man of the pharisees named nicodemus So now, as the author John is talking about the very nature of what is in man, he's going to give us a practical and very uh, important uh, example of this type of man. Now, when Jesus was not able or is not willing to entrust himself to man because he knew what was in man, the idea or the reason why is this because of the reason uh, of our nature, that we are depraved human beings, that by birth and by nature, because of the fall of Adam and his disobedience, That we are sinners, that we are unrighteous, that by our own power we are unable to meet a standard of righteousness that is required for us to enter into the kingdom of God. And this term uh, depravity can uh, seem like a very offensive term, is a theological term that means that we are sinners and that by nature we are born into sin. It doesn't mean that we are as bad as bad can be okay but it means that even no matter how good we are according to the outside world that in the depth of our heart and our being that we are still someone who is unreconciled to the righteousness of God and so what is it that is in man and so now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus and we are introduced quite frankly to the perfect man okay according to the Jewish custom Nicodemus by his achievement by his birth by his status and by uh, just you know the, the very fact of his position would be considered the most righteous and perfect Jew, uh, uh, you know Jewish person that could be a great representative of man so we see uh, um, Nicodemus and he comes to Jesus at night and he says Rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him and Jesus Response to him truly truly I say to you unless one is born again He cannot see the kingdom of God and this takes Nicodemus kind of you know off guard Because if you're a man like Nicodemus and you come to this Jesus you would assume that you would be praised You would assume that you would be validated by Jesus You would assume that if Jesus was truly a man of God that he would recognize in me All of my achievements and all of the goodness that is in me because Nicodemus his resume is is perfect First of all his name is Nicodemus which is a Greek name which shows that he is uh, most likely a Roman citizen and the fact that he goes by the name Nicodemus means that he is a a, you know a Roman citizen and has a level of affluence. Now Josephus who was a historian of of that uh, of that time he writes in his writings the antiquities uh, that there was a a man named Nicodemus or a person or a family named Nicodemus who was of great influence. And most likely, most historians believe that Josephus was talking about this Nicodemus. And if that were the case, Nicodemus was the most family in the in the area. Okay, um, so he's like like of the Kennedys, you know, uh, or the Rockefellers. Uh, he, he has great influence. He has great uh, great status. He is highly educated. The fact that he is a Pharisee meant that he was um, the most, edu- you know, the educated of the educated. He, he was you know in, in our in our context he's like an Ivy League graduate, and then got his uh, PhD at an Ivy League school, uh, and you know just like he he knows he like his his. Doctorate was like published you know, all that kind of stuff. Not only that as a Pharisee We have a very negative connotation of what we think a Pharisee is especially in the Christian Church, right? Um, it's like a derogatory term. We call each other Pharisees. Don't be a Pharisee, right? Like someone who is a legalist someone who uh, thinks that um, you know, they can earn their salvation But back in those days a Pharisee was highly regarded as a religious and righteous person uh, a, a person who in uh, nowadays we would look at them and say oh uh, like Nicodemus would be a a pastor that we would highly respect, like a Tim Keller or a John Piper or, you know, whatever, you know, Billy Graham or whatever pastor that you might highly regard. Uh, he, He was rich, educated, a male. He was a Roman citizen. He was from a good family. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. Like there was nothing about him that you can say and look at and say, oh, man, this guy needs some sort of saving. This guy needs some sort of salvation. No, he has it all. And as he approaches Jesus, Jesus tells him, this man, you must be born again. And in that statement, in that encounter, what Jesus was communicating was this. That no matter how good you think you are, no matter how much uh, you think your achievements and your success and your heritage and your background and your goodness, it, it, like it, 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 there's no credit to that for no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again and Nicodemus is unwilling or unable to actually see the fruit and the the reality and truth of what Jesus was talking about so this again proves Jesus' point that he was unwilling to entrust himself to man because he knew what was in man And, and this is the reality that we must understand as as uh, that as human beings that no matter how good we think we are no matter how righteous we think we feel that without christ without this spiritual rebirth that can come only through him that we are nothing that we are unable to enter into god's kingdom without jesus and the and the only way that we can actually acquire this rebirth or to be born again means that we need to accept the supernatural and i think that's very difficult especially in this time and in this culture and in this area right uh, believing and accepting the supernatural makes us kind of seem a little you know a little wonky right uh, it makes us seem like we're a little unintelligent or that we're a little gullible uh, but this is actually the what requires faith so jesus as he's speaking about being born again and I I think for us we have to kind of understand what does it actually mean to be born again right Uh, so what is the definition of this to be born again when Jesus talks about this he uses the word anothen okay in the Greek language there's two words for again there's palin and there's anothen so when he says you must be born again he's saying you must be born anothen and there's a, a slight but important distinction between those two words palin which is simply the idea of a repetition of an act so in this instance, um, you know, like, let's say our, our worship team, in response, sings Oceans, they play Oceans, and it's like the, the perfect rendition of Oceans. It, it, it moves us to tears. It's so good that people start using it for their Instagram reels, right? Uh, and, and we're just all moved, and I come up, and before the benediction, I say, hey guys, should we, should we sing Oceans again? And everyone's like, yeah! And I'm like, and then I start singing Oceans acapella. That is the definition of the word palin. Again, it's just a simple repetition of the act. But the, uh, the word anothin means that it's a repetition of the act, but from the same source. So if I say, Should we sing oceans anothin? Then the worship team would come back up and they would sing oceans again. And when Jesus says, You must be born again, he is talking about a repetition or a, another act that comes from the very source. And the source of our birth here on earth comes from God. And in order for us to be born again in the spirit, it has to come from God. So what Jesus is saying, you must be born again, he's not talking about just us reinventing ourselves or us creating a new identity, which I'm sure some of you guys in high school did right after summer. It's not about just you know, us changing the way we look. He's talking about a rebirth that comes from the very source of the one who gives all life. And for Nicodemus, he is unable to understand this, or he was unwilling. He says almost sarcastically, or maybe tongue-in-cheek, or maybe uh, he really didn't understand. He said, well, what do you mean I must be born again? How can I, a grown man, go back into my mother's room and be born? And Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. And you know that's not what I'm talking about. He says, unless you are born of water and spirit, you do not have a place in the kingdom of God. So what does it mean for us to be born in, the water, in, in water and spirit? What Jesus is talking about, and I believe there's two correct interpretations to this. When he says you must be reborn in water and spirit, he, number, uh, the water is a metaphor for the word of God. Okay? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26 says, uh, He might sanctify her having cleansed her by washing of water with the word. Okay, so again, Apostle Paul, he's using water as the reference or a metaphor for the Word of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, uh, Peter writes, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. So these, you know, the, these apostles, they understood that this rebirth through water is, is referring to being reborn through the, through the Word of God right and how how are we reborn to the word of god obviously through the the preaching of god's word through the gospel but what is the word well the word is jesus himself right i, I mean in john chapter 1 it, it talks about jesus being the word of god the word that was made flesh so when we are reborn in water and in spirit what jesus is saying you must be reborn through me in the spiritual realm you don't need to go back into your mother's room that is an impossibility But the reality is that you must accept and understand the supernatural thing that in order for you to have eternal life and to be reborn, you must be reborn in me and me alone. And where we have kind of this idea of rebirth, it's really our understanding, our our willingness, are we going to really accept this supernatural reality? And to go back to this idea that Nicodemus was the perfect representative of a Jewish person of that time and yet he was unwilling to accept the reality and the truth of what Jesus is saying is then contrasted with the ability of the women at the well to understand and believe and accept the supernatural reality of what Jesus speaks about with her. See uh, again, the Bible is is, is literature, right, it's all connected. In John chapter 4 we're not going to read the passage but I'll try to summarize it for you guys in John chapter 4 Jesus has a different type of encounter he has an encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well now when we contrast the encounter with the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus we see very clear distinctions Nicodemus has a name he is named the Samaritan woman at the well does not does not have a name Nicodemus is a male the Samaritan woman is a female Nicodemus is of pure Jewish heritage. The Samaritan woman is a Samaritan and they were known as half-breeds. They were uh, ostracized by the Jewish people. Nicodemus was a righteous person from all outward eyes. This woman was considered an adulterer, she was considered an outcast. Nicodemus had the pedigree of a Pharisee, of a Greek, of an, uh, a Roman citizen, highly educated, highly, uh, you know, uh, very rich. The woman had none of those things. She had multiple husbands. She's living with a man who's not even her husband at the time. She is not educated. She has uh, very, you know, very simple theological questions. Um, Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, is someone who knew the Bible, who knew the law, who knew theology, and yet Nicodemus approaches Jesus by the cover of night. This woman encounters Jesus in broad daylight. After the encounter, Nicodemus is unwilling to accept the words and teachings of Jesus, and he goes away. The woman, when Jesus tells her that you must drink of living water, and when you drink of this living water, you will never thirst again, she initially had a question. She didn't understand it, but then she is willing to accept in, uh, the supernatural that he is the living water. See, Nicodemus, he was unwilling to accept that the only way to be born again was by being in Jesus. This woman who was completely contrasted with Nicodemus, she was willing to accept this supernatural idea that if she would drink the living water, which is Christ, that she would never thirst again. So while Nicodemus goes away and doesn't tell anyone about his encounter, the woman goes back to her town and tells everyone she knows about the man who just told her everything about her life, the Messiah that has come to this earth. Our willingness to accept the supernatural comes when we see that we are people in desperate need of new life. That we are people who can only receive this new life through Christ and Christ alone. And that leads us to our third and final point. I am trying to go faster, because it's either hot or cold, The song of fire and ice right here, you know? It's one or the other. Third point, then how can we live a transformed life? Now, I I did mention that there are two ways to interpret this idea of being reborn, uh, reborn through water and the spirit water was referenced to the Word of God or Christ another interpretation is that water is referencing to uh, the idea of John the Baptist and his baptism a baptism of repentance right so in order for us to be able to live a life that is transformed because of the new life that we have in Christ we must seek to live a life that is uh, being filled with repentance now repentance does not mean just feeling sad or feeling bad about your sin okay So when it says repent, it doesn't mean like, oh, just, oh, God, I'm so sorry I did this again, you know? It's not that. Repentance is the idea of change, that you change 180 degrees. You know, um, husbands and wives, when you guys get in a fight and it's like, say sorry, it's like, who cares if I say sorry? You're just going to do it again, right? Like, no, I want you to change. That's, That's what repentance is. So repentance is this idea of completely changing. And it's not we're not talking about behavior modification. This, and I'm speaking this uh, to, to believers and to Christians. It means this, that when we have already received, and because we have received new life through Christ, now we must repent and live a life that is changed. Live a life that is uh, according or aligned to who we are when we have salvation in Jesus and we refuse to live a life in accordance and aligned with Jesus, then we are not living a life of repentance. life, about We have to understand that what God is calling for us to live in this here and now and for the rest of eternity is that we live a life that is aligned to the foundations and righteousness of who God is. And in order for us to do that, we have to understand that there is a connection between the spiritual realm and the physical realm that the things that we do here in the physical life and the things that we do here in our life here you know before eternity is connected to the life that we're going to have for the rest of eternity with god but the reality is is that we kind of fail to make that connection we think we can just live our lives here Wait till Jesus returns, or wait until Jesus takes us home, and then we can, you know, start to live our eternal life. No, that's not what God is calling for when he's talking about rebirth. And the reason why I think we have a struggle with this is because of this cognitive bias called functional fixedness. Okay, functional, fix- uh, functional fixedness is idea where we think that certain things function in a certain way, and that's the only way we see how it functions. Uh, the classic experiment or example of functional this is that they got a group of people. They gave them two candles, a box of tacks and matches, and they said, "We want you to attach this candle to the wall without making sh- uh, by ma- and making sure that no wax drips onto the floor." Only a small percentage of the people were able to figure out this uh, problem. What they did was they attached, they dumped out the box of the tacks or the tacks from the box. They attached the candle in the box, and then they used the tacks to put the You know, box onto the wall, and then the candle just dripped into the box. Most people assumed or they thought, I can't dump out the tax because the the box, the purpose of that box is to hold the tax. That's what functional fixedness is. You know, uh, another example is like, you know, I'm trying to nail something, and and I I was like, Christina, where's the hammer? She's like, oh, I don't know where the hammer is. So I just grabbed, you know, a wrench and I started hammering. She's like, oh, you can do that? Yeah, of course. But we assume that you can only hammer a nail with a hammer. And that's functional fixedness in that same way we assume that the only things that matter for our spiritual lives are the spiritual things that we are taught therefore in order for us to live a life of repentance we have to pray we have to read the bible and we have to come to church right those are all good things but that's not the only thing when jesus is talking about rebirth and the eternal life that we have here which starts at the moment of salvation It means that all of our actions and the ways of life and the things that we do are connected to our eternal life. That the things that may even seem unspiritual are actually good or bad for our spiritual disciplines. The things that we assume are just separated from our uh, spiritual lives are actually very well connected. And, And that's the reason why I believe that it's very important for us to understand that there are certain things that we need to change in order for us to live a life that is reborn in Christ. And I think the very simple application I can give to you is this. Uh, there's a book that I, I've been listening to called Atomic Habits. I don't know if you guys have heard of it or read it. It's a, uh, written by a man named James Clear. And one of the th- premises of the book is, is pretty interesting. He says this. He says, "Um, book is that habits shape your identity and your identity shapes your habits. So he believes like, like, if, if you want to change a habit, you have to believe that you are already the person that, or you know, that you are already the thing that you want to be, okay? So uh, the example he gives is like, hey, if, if you want to lose weight, um, you have to assume, you have to tell yourself, uh, I, I am a healthy person. And what would a healthy person do? Would they walk or would they take an Uber? Uh, would they order French fries or would they order uh, green bean fries, you know? And, and so you tell yourself that. Um, and. and In that same way what we have to do as Christians and if you are someone who confesses your faith in in Jesus Christ we are to form habits and actions and daily routines not based on what we think we want to be but what we already are that we are already reborn in Christ we are already people who have eternal life in him so and, and that's the main difference between legalism and, re- and, and, and a relationship with Jesus. Legalism says you have to do these things so that you can be Christian. Uh, our relationship in the gospel says no, because you are in Christ, because you are already uh, embedded in the kingdom of God, therefore you live your life this way. And I think it's a, that's a small minute distinction that we have to make. So practically speaking, what are certain ways that we can apply this? Creating good habits because of who we are in Christ is, is something that we should all think about. One of the things that I like to do is I like take walks. Okay? Actually, I don't really like taking walks, but I take walks. Why? And before it was just taking walks, just take walks. But I realized if I connect the habit of taking walks to the spiritual realm of my relationship with Christ, then it's more than just taking walks. Because now I use these times of taking walks to pray. I use these times to take walks to reset myself, to to, to uh, you know try to connect myself to God in a more spiritual way. I take walks to be able to look at nature and be like, wow, look at the beauty of the Silicon Valley, you know? It, it, but just being on the sun, I'm like, oh, the sun is crazy. You know, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's hot here, but it's not, it's, it's, it's a wild thing, right? But, but I think about that, I'm like, man, God created that. So even a simple thing as driving, driving in itself can just be driving, but if you change it, To an act where you are connected to God, then it can be a place of prayer, it can be a place of meditation, it can be a place of of deep reflection. And in these simple actions and habits, what we are doing is we are saying we are no longer disconnecting the spiritual from the physical, but we are seeing the reality that when we are reborn in Christ, even the most mundane, lame things can be ways for us to relate, to fellowship and to worship God. And these practical habits are things that are able to be secured because of who Christ has made us, reborn in him. So for the sake of our skin, we'll close in prayer. Take a few moments to reflect um, just on this idea of the eternal life that we have in Christ and how we are reborn in him and what that actually means for you in your life. Um, if you call yourself or you refer to yourself as a born-again Christian um, are you just waiting for Christ's return to be able to just again to live your life then or has your life in Christ started now Uh, let's take a few moments to reflect on that and then um, we'll continue on as our worship team leads us in a time of responsive worship